Welcome to Fireside with VoxGig, a podcast for professional and aspiring public speakers. I'm your host, Richard Roger, the founder of VoxGig.com, an online community for speakers and event professionals. We're here to help you get the most out of speaking, organizing, exhibiting, and attending. In each episode, we sit down for an intimate fireside chat with people in the public speaking community to learn how they have mastered the art of getting up on stage and speaking in front of an audience. If you're an aspiring speaker or just want to improve your onstage performance, this podcast will help you learn from some of the most accomplished and interesting professional conference speakers. And finally, before we begin, a quick shout out and thank you to simplecast.com, first and last word in podcasts, who have kindly come on board as our first ever sponsor. Bonnie Williams returns to the Fireside with Boxgate podcast, and it's absolutely great to have her back. Last time she spoke all about acting and how that can help with public speaking. This time we're talking about pitching, pitching to investors or pitching for anything else at all, and how the most important thing is not what you put on your slides or even the story you tell or the arguments you have. The most important thing is focusing on your audience, as always, understanding the people that you're pitching to and maybe not pitching if you're pitching to the wrong people. We also talk a little bit about some of the effect of the coronavirus, which is having an effect on the conflict industry at the moment, and how to approach doing things in the virtual world, and how to speak to the camera if you have to, because it looks like that's what's going to be happening for a lot of us much more frequently from now on. Stay safe out there, and sit back and listen to the wonderful podcast with Bonnie Williams. Bonnie, welcome back to the Fireside Box Gig podcast. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Richard. Hi. This is awesome. So um, can I tell you, you are our first repeat guest. What an honor. Yay. <laughs> you must be doing something right in the world of public speaking. The last time uh, my colleague Orla spoke to you about all sorts of wonderful things, uh, including your acting career, that sort of stuff. This time, it would be interesting, I think, to talk about some of the work you've been doing recently with startups and entrepreneurs who are pitching for money. That's interesting because they're not making money pitching. <laughs> well, some of them do. Some of them do. Some of them, that's how they plan to make money is, is by successfully pitching. Um, never mind the business. How have you found that experience? It's a really interesting up and coming phenomena in the sense that it's been there forever. But now I think that that in a lot of industries, pitching has taken a forefront because what I realize now, um, what used to be just straight pitching to inform informative pitching, as it were, to let people know or p- potential funders or potential partners or um, in the film industry, potential co-producers, what used to be the, the mindset was to uh, just get the content of the project across or the information about the startup or the uh, to get that across and now pitching has become has taken on a whole different identity as far as what i've seen in the sense that um pitching what i always say is pitching is it's not just a presentation it's basically an invitation to have a conversation and that pitching opens doors to start relationships as opposed to just be informative in terms of the content of the project. I think a lot of people see it as a, as a black and white scenario. 
you're either walking out the door with success or failure. But it's, it's much wider than that, isn't it? I mean, even a failed pitch could create a, a relationship. Absolutely. And that's that's exactly it. So, so it's a really a, a question of like adjusting the mindset. Like what do you really hope to achieve from a pitch? And that's often where I tend to like start when I work with people is that, you know, don't expect to get people to sign on the dotted lines or writing, write a check after a, a three to seven minute pitch that I don't know if that ever really happens, but I think that's often the situation or the expectation, you know, that whole dragon's den kind of mentality is to come in and oh yeah, yeah blow well, them away. That's all made up, right? That's, that's I'm sure. To a certain extent. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I don't even know about that. But what I do know is that very often people for in the film industry, let's let's just start there because that's what I'm what I'm really familiar with. People don't only necessarily want to work on your next project. They want to work with you. So there's a lot of um, are are you a viable partner or investment? And I think the same also actually um, applies for tech startups and scale-ups because as you might know, a lot of things metamorphosize and the project doesn't always end up being what it, what one thought that they started out with, especially with startups. Sometimes they organically grow or change form or change direction because of uh yeah, that's the nature of startups. Yeah. You try it out, and and if it doesn't work, or what works, you keep. What doesn't work, you know. So in order to do that, people are really looking to to work with people who have the the qualities and the potential to create a successful business. Who is coming to you? Is is it the sort of archetypal group in their twenties, or is it people who have many years' experience that are now going out on their own? Let's see. Um, <laughs> I think um, the last few clients that I've worked with, they've been more in their 30s than in the 20s. So people have kind of like, um, there's a lot of uh, startups and scale-ups of people who have already worked in, in, in the industry or in different industries and have, have a track record, have seen what works, have worked for different companies and have decided to branch out with their own businesses. And they've also gained credibility by being successful within their field. Um, so I think, yeah, a, a lot of them are, are, are young and still have the energy to do it. <laughs> and the belief that they're totally right, <laughs> which, which always helps. <laughs> but, uh, well, or, but actually, uh, what I really also come across is people who are very future-oriented, who see growth potential and see yeah, market potential. And very interesting to me because it's um so it's what i think is interesting is people who have gone from like big organizations and corporations if you will and have um decided to step out of that and 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 find a, ni a niche market or to fulfill a need in the market that wasn't being fulfilled by the by where they were before when they come to you i mean what's the number one thing they're doing wrong how do you break it to them so gently <laughs> well, most of the speakers that I work with, whether they be people pitching or speaking, is they often are very self-conscious and worried about if I don't do it right and I get nervous and I and I don't know if I'm going to say the right thing. And and, and um, they, they're almost um, uh, distracted and 
and worried, self-absorbed. And I, the first thing I say to most of my speakers or pitchers is, you know, it's not about you. <laughs> it's, it's really, um, they're so focused on themselves or their own business models or their own business or their own message or their own information or their own project um, or product that they don't realize that they're speaking in public for the public. And for the for the people who are listening to them, and that changes the shape of their messaging. Also, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah they're so they're so wound up. Of course. Well, I mean, it's high stakes when you're starting a business. Of course, you sort of forget that people the people are listening. <laughs> the people need to be brought on the same journey that it might have taken you as the founder a number of years to, to gain the insight. There was a new market, or that. You know that this this new product makes sense. I've done many pitches myself, <laughs> many many uh, terrible pitches. I've got somebody for investors and lost other money. Um, oh, it's a strange business pitching, I have to say. Yeah, and I think that part of it is also that people often think that the content leads, the project leads, and and what I said when you because you when you asked what are you doing wrong, I mean I'd love to ask you what did you do quote unquote wrong. I mean, what what is a failed what is a failed pitch actually? That's a really good question because it kind of goes back to um, what we were saying at the start. Because even if you don't get the money, you you might build a relationship, which is certainly the thing that I found. You know, I remember uh, pitching one crazy idea to an investor in it must have been 2011 or so, <laughs> and. Um, it was so bad. I was I was literally showing the door. Um, but that same investor, <laughs> when I started another business two years later, recommended my first three clients. So you so it was not a failed pitch after all. I mean, in retrospect. No, I mean, well, the, the investor was absolutely correct about the business. <laughs> it was a terrible idea, <laughs> you know. But if I if I sort of cut off all contact with that person, it would have been a bad thing. Yeah. So that was a successful pitch, I guess, um, in our wider understanding. I mean, yeah, in that sense, it is it's successful. I would have taken the money. <laughs> I would have been very yeah, happy yeah. with the money. <laughs> I probably would have lost it if it wasn't a good right. idea anyway. So. Exactly, yeah. right. Exactly. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. I mean, if you work as a startup founder, you come across all sorts of things that happen to people. You know, some people literally do get funded within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And other people uh, raise a bit of money, and then they cannot raise the next piece of money that they need to raise. Right. And that's actually much harder. Yeah. You know, and I've seen several people go through really terrible time where, you know, it's, it's sort of the last 12 months of their business, and all they're doing is trying to raise money. And in the end, they don't. You know, it's tough at the end. Yeah. But can you pinpoint, like, why that happens? Or That's a really, really fundamental question. Why, why does a startup fail? I don't know. I mean, there must, of course, be uh, situations where the founder could have performed better at pitching, where that could have made a difference. Yeah, I don't really know if a pitch makes or breaks the success of a startup or a scale scale up. But what I do know is that when you go from startup to scale up, what you're focused on is your own growth potential. And I think that means that you're kind of 
in it for the long run and willing to take the risk because of something you really believe in and something that you've already proved to be at least partially viable also in the market. And I think that that's at that point, it's crucial that you get people on board who have the same sensibility, yeah, who can share your vision and trust your capabilities or be willing to to guide you or coach you or you know sometimes you maybe you're um you're you're pitching up the wrong tree as it were <laughs> maybe what you need to find is is a business mentor instead of an investor and in order to find somebody i think you really need to engage that person and on different levels because it's a journey and it's about taking the right people you know, on, on the journey with you or getting the right people, the right people to, to be part of the journey. When you are helping people, what is the, the sort of key difference in focus? If I'm a startup pitching for my first investment versus the scale-up scenario where I already have some validation yeah, and I, I'm pitching for a much larger investment to a different style of investor, what's the difference between those two? First of all, it's a, your choice of audience and what you're looking to achieve with that audience. So as a startup, I think what you you need to have, of course, the capital to start up, but but also probably to get the right people on board to help you to mentor you in the in in, in building a business, especially if you haven't really done that. So I I mean I'm not a business coach, but I highly recommend that startups get at least somebody who's very business savvy to be part of the team and or or to invest their time in you. So I could not agree more. Yeah. And if that's a good person <laughs> and you have reached the, the space of scale up, then you're looking for other kinds of partners. And I think it's about also appealing to understanding what your other potential partners are, um, what they're looking for and targeting correctly. Like, a lot of people say, think, oh, it's just, it's a technical startup, so we'll go for an investor that does tech investments or something like that. But it doesn't always work that way. I mean, um, some people, the individual um, investors also, are also human beings. And some there have different drives and different um, triggers and different focuses. And it's not only about money. It's not only about earning money. It's about earning money in a way that they deem to be you know, worthy of earning money or something that excites them or something that interests them and something that they also can see potential in. And, some, and I think it's about matching with your audience and understanding who you're talking to. That helps a lot. Bonnie, I, I love what you're saying because it's, um, it kind of goes back to that, um, that old business saying, which is uh, more important to be doing the right thing than to be doing things right. And I think a lot of people who pitch, and I know I've made this mistake myself, are obsessed with, you know, I wear a red tie and you know, I have these set of slides and I've prepared all these answers to all these questions. Uh, but if you're pitching to the wrong person, the wrong audience in the first place, it's all pointless. And what if that person that you're pitching to doesn't care about that and cares, and cares about something else? I mean, of course, they'll care about about your project and stuff, but what if they care more about like about what your vision is or what you want to do in the world or how you see the world or how you live your life to a certain extent? I mean, that might sound philosophical, but 
I'm always really, um, I might've said this in the last podcast, I'm not sure, but um, the thing that fascinates me and that I always work on with public speakers, with pitchers is, are the invisible factors that influence behavior. Because, and, and when we're talking about make decision-making, pitching to or speaking to people that you want to influence or that you want to move in a certain direction, Sometimes all that stuff you prepare and all the facts and figures are maybe not the thing that are going to that's that's going to excite them or going to convince them. And convince is a tricky word, but uh, I would say entice them or, or excite them. There's a lot of chemistry involved. I mean, my in, in my experience, when you are finding investors who are generally you know people who have been successful in some shape or another, they're all very different. Yeah. So very different. I mean, they, some people got lucky. Some people are, are geniuses. You know, some people are just grafters and they just worked 100 hour weeks. That's why they're successful. Some people are bullies. That works too. Uh, some people are super nice. <laughs> that also works. Yeah. Right? There, there literally isn't, wasn't really a, a way to say, oh, a successful business person is X. I've never been able to come up with a generalization that is actually true. No, exactly. And I mean, and I, I just had to think about, you know, what about like in the old days and all the business deals that were done on the golf course? And uh, that's because there was a common ground. And I think that that's kind of the, the key is that, you know, somebody has to uh, like you even, or like what you stand for, or like your, your set of expertise in order to want to even yeah, take the risk with you. So, and, it, and that it's a question of being able to, I think pitching is about understanding who you want to work with or who, you, or who you need to work with or who you want to appeal to and creating a pitch that will do that that will appeal to the person that you think fits you best. It's a higher level of thinking that I certainly could have done with earlier in my career. The very first pitch deck I ever put together, it was only for a very small amount of initial funding. I'm a mathematician by trade. Dangerous. <laughs> I worked out a very, very complicated formula. <laughs> Excel to predict my product sales. Of course, it was complete rubbish because you can't predict product sales. But anyway, I, I had this lovely formula, lots of sigmas and all sorts of Greek letters in it, which I put on the slide. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, even though I'm a nerdy mathematician, I remember having enough ability to read people, <laughs> even at that stage, realizing that that was the moment I lost the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I put up this formula. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is the way you learn. This is the way you learn. Yeah. Uh, of course, I hadn't a clue. I, had, I hadn't researched who I was speaking to at all. I didn't know anything about I hadn't thought of them as people. Yeah. At all. And this is an interesting thing because, I mean, even for whenever you're speaking, I mean, that's the first question that I ask. Who are you speaking to? And why them? Why then? Why now? Why you? Why you? And, um, and I think that that's because just to go way back to the question you asked me about what's the, the thing that people do wrong or something, it's, it's that. It's overlooking that. And even though you can't, you know, sometimes you're in a room full of strangers, so you don't necessarily know who's there. But you do know, I think you know more than you don't know. Uh, maybe not about the individual, but about 
the dynamic and about like, why would somebody be there listening to you anyway? What would bring them there to that point? I tell the, a lot of the people that I work with who pitch in, in like incubable for incubators or for um, accelerators or, or have opportunities for pitch competitions. I often recommend that they take a little bit of time and try to understand it because sometimes names of uh, people are published. So they know who's going to be there. And it's just interesting to do a little bit of research. And it's, I mean... It doesn't tell you to look, look up their LinkedIn. I mean, that's, it's, it's baby steps. Absolutely. Yeah. And also to understand even what other projects they might, if, if, it's, if they're like investors, what are, they, what are they investing in? You can make assumptions, but, but I would call them educated assumptions as opposed to just assuming that people are coming there to invest in a startup. I think you're you're right. This is, it's it's so important. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts by investors and, uh, and people like that. There's one in particular I'm quite fond of, uh, an angel investor called uh, Jason Calacanis, who does a great podcast. Mm. And his number one complaint is always uh, getting sent these template pitch emails where the founder just launches into a, a big explanation of their product or whatever. That's clearly just been mail merged. And there's no effort put in to research his what he what he's interested in or style or anything. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> you, 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 yeah. you, you, every every second or third podcast is a big rad <laughs> type of behavior, and it's such an easy thing to avoid, really, with with even the slightest bit of thought about other people. Yeah, and I think that that's part of being a successful business person or even a successful leader or speaker is to you know you're you're matching on a dish you want to match with people on different levels than just uh you're bringing something to the table it's it's some it's it's it has to be reciprocal so you have to understand who's at the table <laughs> yeah. or, i mean and if they even want what you're bringing i mean you could save a lot of time, a lot of times by understanding who's there. And because sometimes it's, is it even worth going through all the uh, blood, sweat and tears of putting, putting a pitch together. And most people are so afraid of that. And then you realize, well, you shouldn't have been there in the first place. Since this person would never be interested in what you're doing, which is very, I don't mean to sound so negative about that. <laughs> I, I mean it in the, in the most positive of ways because you're better off spending your time in creating a network around you that is supportive and, and, and believes in the product and, and, or in the project or whatever it is and, and wants to be part of it. And again, I'll, I'll talk about sharing the vision because I really do think that that plays a big role in most everything. It certainly does. Let's switch gears for a minute and talk about another challenge that uh, startup founders, pitchers, and people giving talks may be facing soon enough this year. It's actually the rather topical subject of the coronavirus and the effect that's having on conferences. Mm. You, you've done quite a bit of, of coaching remotely now via Skype. And I think it's, I mean, certainly some of the things that we're seeing in VoxGig with some of our clients is that people are canceling in-person conferences and moving to virtual conferences. We've yet to see how that will play out. I mean, some people are, are doing the whole virtual reality thing. Some are doing the more webinar style. But certainly one can't deny that the virtual side of speaking, we're going to see more of it. Yeah. And that's another challenge. Uh, I, I, I found that 
to be very difficult when you're giving a talk to a computer or a camera. <laughs> and I know you I know you might be familiar with camera being an actor and all that sort of thing, but uh, I feed off the energy of the audience in a virtual context in my office at my desk is very challenging. Yeah, I mean, the, what I, I love about virtual coaching <clears throat> is that the camera is a tool. The camera is, is actually the connecting device when you're on a one-to-one virtual conference or, or not even one-to-one when you're having a group conference and everybody, you know, you have like all these, these squares in front of you of all these people who are, <laughs> who are there and muted, but, but looking at you and you can see people watching you. But just to get back to the camera as a something, not taking a picture of you, but being a, a connecting device to your audience, then it changes also the relationship to the camera. And so that you're not really <clears throat> having the, that the camera lo- is looking at you, but that you are looking through the camera, as it were. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Is this a mentality you have to sort of adopt? <laughs> Do you have to sort of fool yourself and then it becomes true? No, you have to experience it by, um, you have to experience it. And when you experience it, when you can, if I mean, nowadays, almost everybody does video chats. I mean, I think... A lot of people are like, oh, I hate video chats. I think it's great because you get to see, you get to experience the camera as as a channel. And that it takes you, when you're video chatting to somebody else, it takes you to their space. And when you're doing a video call or a video coaching, then you're really actually in the same, you can experience actually being in the same time and space frame continuum or whatever that is, uh, but you're not physically in the same space. I think that that it involves maybe opening up your imagination sometimes if you're, I mean, I think that's a big difference between talking and and just recording yourself and just like being one-on-one with the camera. Right. Yeah. As opposed to like having a conference where you know that there are people listening, but I think it's also about imagining the people there. And maybe that is something that you have to develop. It's something that it's almost, you know, it's funny because it's almost exactly the same an extension of the same mentality that we were just talking about before. It's you're talking to people. There are actual human receptors at the end of of the line. And those are the ones that, um, whether they're there in, in physically or they're there virtually, the whole idea is that they are there and that you're talking to them. And it's about it's a matter of like maybe it is a mentality thing. I don't know perspective. It's a funny thing to say. I mean, you know, maybe to people who don't do much public speaking or, or haven't really done it, to say that it's it's easier to stand up in front of a live audience than it is. Uh, I mean, I I'm, I'm using my own personal biases here, of course, but it's easier to stand up in front of an audience because you get that immediate feedback. And when it's virtual, you have to work harder to feel the feedback, I guess. So, I mean, you, you obviously have technical things like the camera can show you some of the audience or you have the chat rooms or whatever. It feels like it's, it's something that uh, a skill you've developed, maybe even subconsciously. You can also turn it around and say, I mean, sometimes you're in a, in a room full of people and you're not getting the response that you really had hoped for, or the energy isn't what you thought it would be, or people aren't really responding to your, your jokes or, <laughs> um, or whatever. And 
I mean, there are times when public speaking can also be a chore because because it's hard work to get to feel like you're really getting across at some time point. Yeah. And if I mean, and so the other side of the coin is if you're not seeing your audience, if you're speaking through a, a camera or to a camera or through, you can put whoever is there yeah. on the other side of your imagination. <laughs> Yeah, yes, they be broken applause. Yeah, absolutely. Right <laughs> off, go for it. <laughs> you have to like stop, you know, you have to pause for the laughter and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of an extension of the belief of, of your belief, a suspension of belief. That's what actors are. Um, that whole thing about acting is to create a suspended belief. And that's what you're doing also when when you're talking to an empty room, but in the end, somebody's going to be watching and listening to you. Well, yeah, we're all going to experience this. I think this year. <laughs> I'm sure I will. I'll um, I'll have I'll have to ask you to review my my performances <laughs> here in the year. <laughs> see see if I can suspend disbelief. If it's your startup or your scale up or your project or your in, innovation or your product, you know your stuff already. So it's it's not more a question of how do you get it across? How do you shape shape your message and share the essence of your message so that you make the impact that you want to make? And people you want to make the impact upon are the ones who you should really be concentrating on. Wonderful. Fantastic. That is where we will come to the end, I think. That's absolutely fascinating. Uh, really, really a great perspective. Much more useful than advice to wear particular types of ties or have particular types of slides in whatever order, which is the, the normal thing you get with pitch advice. I think your perspective is, is much more useful. So thank you very much. Thank you too, Richard. And take care and um, stay safe and stay healthy. Absolutely. Everybody out there. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't travel if you don't have to. Thank you so much, Bonnie. It's been lovely talking to you again. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few things before the embers fade and we wrap up another episode of the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. You can find notes and links from this podcast at voxgig.com slash podcasts. We also publish a weekly newsletter on public speaking, selecting the best advice and techniques from some of the world's greatest speakers, both ancient and modern. Rhetoric is an old and revered art, not especially easy to master, but a skill like any other, and one you can also learn. Visit voxgig.com speakers to subscribe. If you've enjoyed this fireside chat, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Please also leave a review that helps us make this podcast even better. If you'd like to contact me directly, please email me, richard at voxgig.com. If you'd like to be counted as a supporter, just let me know and I'll add you to our supporters page. And one final reminder to check out our sponsor, simplecast.com who help make this podcast possible till next time remember take a deep breath pause and step forward <laughs>